You're listening to Beyond the Studio, a podcast for artists. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. We're both independent working artists ourselves. And here on the podcast, we have honest conversations with fellow visual artists about their careers and the real work that happens beyond the studio. You can find us online at our website, beyondthe.studio, or on social media at Beyond the Studio, where we share episode links, visuals, and so much more. If you're an artist and would like to be featured on our social media, or maybe even on the show, you can submit yourself to our listener spotlight and share what you're learning beyond the studio. Just follow the link in our show notes or go to beyondthe.studio slash contact. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I Am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about, and click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through I Am are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you love the show and haven't rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast, what are you waiting for? Please take a moment to show us your support. If you've already done this, thank you. It means so much to us, and it's one of the best ways to help us keep going and growing. Hello, welcome back to Beyond the Studio. This episode is all about the public art process. If you've listened to our most uh, recent episodes, then um, we've been catching you up on things that Amanda and I, uh, your co-host Nicole, have been up to this past year. And we've been kind of diving deeper into those topics through a couple of topical episodes. And if you have been a longtime listener of Beyond the Studio, then you might remember we did an episode about public art about a year ago um, when I was in the early stages of this project that I've been working on throughout most of uh, 2022 and all of 2023. And that project is in its final stages. Um, the, the installation is fully wrapped. So we thought it would be a good time to come back and do another deep dive into the second phase of the public art process. So if you are, if you haven't listened to that episode, um, I would still recommend it because we talk a lot about the initial stages of sourcing open calls, of applying to public projects, um, just how we're defining public art in this context, and um, some of the earlier stages like research, budgeting. So for this episode, we wanted to focus more on the fabrication and installation phases, um, since that's what I've been going through this past year. For a little background and context, I've been working on this public park and recreation center and community pool that's a brand new construction in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, The project's called Clark Park, and my portion or the artwork that I proposed involved a large exterior mosaic piece that I fabricated myself here in San Francisco, um, and then two kind of sections of transparent colored kiln-formed glass throughout the interior in uh, the clear story windows and then the skylights. So there were a few different components or projects under the umbrella of this public project. And this has been the largest and the most long-term project that I've worked on so far. So it's been a really um, huge learning experience for me. And I think why we wanted to do a couple of topical episodes breaking out the process is that I know 
The public art process can be very opaque, and I've learned a lot throughout this project, and we wanted to just kind of talk about what kinds of things we've been learning along the way. So for an overview of the timeline, which maybe would be a good place to start, I had applied to a number of public projects at the start of 2022, and I was awarded the bid for this project in May. And from then until about October last year, 2022, we were mostly in the design phase. So we spent the first five or six months just finalizing contracts and designs, continuing to research things like materials and installation. And because of the scale and scope of this project, and um, like I mentioned, there were a few different art elements within it, um, being the mosaic and the glass, we decided to actually split it up into two phases with two separate contracts. So we basically had like a design phase and then the fabrication phase. And when we recorded the first um, kind of part one of our public art series, um, which we can link to in our show notes, um, that was when I was in the midst of the design phase. So again, we focused a lot on applications and proposals. Uh, but since then, we've finished fabrication and installation. But in the beginning, there was a lot of stop and go until we you know, eventually started making the actual works. Uh, so in October 2022, so about six months after I first got the project in May, we gained uh, approval from the city on our budget and proposal which is something that we had to do as part of the process as put together basically a proposal uh, that was a more refined version of what I had submitted to the committee in order to win the project initially. So all of the research into materials and installation, we like compiled into a much more detailed budget and series of designs that had to go through city council approval. So before we were able to move forward with any like actual production, um, we had to obtain that. And so we did um, get city council approval in October. And then it was a couple of months before I actually received the next check or the funds to be able to kick off that fabrication phase. So that came through in December 2022. And that's when I really moved into the fabrication, which we wanted to talk about today. I should mention that we, throughout this like design phase, we kind of identified the glass components might be uh, better to break out into a separate contract. Um, so I talked a little bit about this in that last episode too, I think, where just in the process of researching materials and figuring out how we were going to install the work, it seemed to make more sense to have the glass folded under the main contractor's contract um, instead of the public art contract so that I would essentially just be serving as a consultant as the artist to kind of, you know, determine the color palette, the materials. We had already like identified the fabricator that we were going to be working with in Tempe, Arizona called Meltdown Glass that would be producing the stained glass pieces and then the installers that were putting in all of the other windows throughout the building would be the same installers to put in the like the art glass elements as what we were calling them. So uh, it made sense for a variety of reasons that we could kind of streamline the communications that way. 
And so in that case, the like money that had been allocated for the glass work didn't actually pass through me, but instead it was just sort of the glass fabricators became a subcontractor of the main like construction company on the project. Um, so the mosaic, on the other hand, was like all part of you know this public art budget and the installers that I hired for the installation that all came through like this separate fabrication contract that we created for the the public art. So yeah, anyways, all that to say there were like a few decisions that were pretty specific to this project because there were like different, you know, artistic elements. We broke it up into several phases and then um, even further decided to break up the public art contract into a few different kind of contracts to align with the different artworks that were being created for it. Sounds like a lot of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think one of the main differences between uh, like public projects and commercial projects I've noticed, um, which like a lot of the commissioned you know, paintings or other projects that I've done, I would say like fall into that commercial category. And by that, I just mean that they're being like commissioned directly by a business or, you know, maybe I've been working with a creative agency or an art consultancy um, as opposed to working directly with the city and having the work be funded through taxpayer dollars is that there's just a lot less. um, I mean, as you can imagine with public art, there's a lot more layers of approval there are like many more stakeholders so it can be like a much kind of slower and more administrative process and so actually that kind of fed into my decision to fabricate the mosaic piece myself um, because I've kind of seen from you know other artists that take on a lot of public projects that you can kind of easily fall into the role of being more of a designer and a project manager. And I think that's just inherent to the public art process. But, you know, also like the thing that like, you know, we are most passionate about usually is the making it like is the um, creating the work in the studio. And so I knew for me personally, I didn't want to outsource that part of the process, especially because this was like the first significant public project that I've taken on. And I, I, I kind of like had the time and the desire to to remain really hands-on in that process and also just like kind of conceptually like the way I was thinking about this this project and the mosaic in particular was uh, a translation of my uh, my painting process like my my language and process as a painter into the medium of tile mosaic and so I felt that in order to do that I needed to you know be be really hands-on with the making of it. And then again, I didn't really want to hand off the most creative part of the process to a separate team of fabricators. So I was really excited about the challenge of working with a new material um, because I'd never never worked in mosaic before. But I sort of, in the process of researching for this project, stumbled on this technique called lithomosaic, um, which is just a specialty technique for creating large-scale exterior mosaic. And it, it really lends itself to, well, to working large scale, um, but also for, for artists to fabricate the works themselves um, because the, the grouting and the installation happens at the end in these large monolithic concrete pours by a team of licensed installers. So if you don't know anything about mosaic, then there's the sort of like tile cutting and assembly, but then um, you're also grouting 
the mosaic together, which, you know, just the same way that you would like grouting a bathroom tile. Um, but that can be like a really labor intensive part of the process. And so with litho mosaic, it sort of like eliminates the artist having to do that part of the process because it's happening at the end in these large concrete pores. So most litho mosaics tend to be, they're outdoors, they're horizontal. So this was like a floor piece and the the concrete is poured just like you would um, for a sidewalk and then the mosaic gets kind of like lifted and placed in reverse over top of it. So my role was really to like assemble the mosaic and adhere the tile to these large mesh sheets that would then later get transported to Arizona for the installation. I shared a lot of this process on my own Instagram. So you can go to my page at Nicole Marie Muller if you want to see like some videos and photos of this installation process um, because it's a little bit hard to describe and um, if you don't know much about mosaic or maybe you do but you haven't heard of litho mosaic then um, I think it's helpful to just kind of see how that all comes together and we can share some of this on Beyond the Studios page too. Yeah and I definitely recommend listeners even if you're not like super curious about the process just to go look because it's also beautiful and fascinating and it's cool to see you like take up a new studio space in a new way and also just the scale of it like seeing you work on this massive (laughs) massive thing that like makes you look so tiny when in the videos when you're working on I'm like oh god I mean your paintings do have the same effect because you tend to work big but it's really beautiful to see. And every time you'd like post new videos or share new behind the scenes stuff, I'd like run into Mike's studio and be like, look, this is so cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was really, um, it was really fun to dive into any medium like that. And I, I, I definitely love the challenge of working large scale. Um, so this mosaic piece was almost 750 square feet. But I would also say I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into with this process because, again, I'd never worked with the material before. So it's, um, as you can imagine, it's much uh, slower and more methodical and very labor intensive in a way that you know, of course, like painting is is hard work, but it's it's I don't know, there's like a different balance between like the kind of like energetic movements of actually applying paint to a canvas and this kind of like stepping back and slow evaluation. And it's a much more like rhythmic kind of intuitive process for me, the way that I paint in the studio and with the mosaic, it really it did allow for a lot of kind of like intuitive creative decision making, again, getting to work on the piece myself. And um, I had like a design or template I was working off of, but within that really wanted to leave a lot of room for the same way that I would approach the paintings in terms of like thinking about color and form. And um, so how I was actually assembling the tile, I really wanted to bring like that same energy and like spirit of joy into it so that it didn't feel as if it were just like filling in space or like overly repetitive. Um, But the process of just actually laying down the tile and then gluing everything is very, um, very slow and methodical. So I did work with a couple of studio assistants, um, which I can talk about that process of of finding people, of working um, alongside people in the studio, because this project really necessitated it and was the first time that I really um, kind of had the opportunity to bring in um, other people. So it, it felt like more of a team effort, um, for sure. But basically from October, well, no, December 2022, when we got the initial 
check to kick off fabrication. Um, I was mostly acquiring materials, um, so I kind of set about right away to, to order all of the tile um, and everything that I needed to sort of outfit the studio to begin this um, because, you know, my studio is set up for painting, but to work with mosaic, um, even just getting things like shelving and bins to organize all of the tile that were coming in, you know, that kind of like took the, the template, like the, you know, large scale printout that we used to make the mosaic, uh, all of those things took some time to acquire. Uh, so December through January, I was uh, acquiring materials and starting to work on some small-scale samples um, that we would have cast in concrete um, during my first trip out to Arizona. So December was also when I made my first trip out to Arizona to view the site in person, to visit the fabricators and installers, Meltdown Glass, who would be producing the glass pieces that's based in Tempe. And then uh, Progressive Hardscapes is the name of the concrete company that is specially licensed in um, installing litho mosaics. And so I, um, you know, met with them, viewed some samples in person, was ordering and acquiring materials at the studio so that by the start of 2023, I was sort of like fully immersed in the fabrication in February of this year, I made my second trip out to cast the mosaic samples that I'd created in concrete and to make our final glass and color selections and then start the actual piece um, at my studio back in San Francisco. And so the first few months, I think I was just familiarizing myself with the material and figuring out my own working pace. But pretty quickly, I think I realized that I was going to need some help in the studio if we were going to meet the deadlines that we'd set out for ourselves to be able to install this in the fall. So by March or April, I had a few sections of the mosaic underway, but I think that's when I started to, to really seriously consider bringing on some help. And so by May, I had hired on two studio assistants um, to work with me both part-time throughout the summer until August, which is when we were, when our deadline to finish the mosaic was. And um, by the end of August, I uh, went out to Arizona with the mosaic to, um, to install it at uh, the end of that month. And so the last few months since I've um, been back, they've installed the glass pieces since then, and they're um, just in the final stages of wrapping up construction, scheduled to finish by the end of November. Um, and the opening date for Clark Park is scheduled for January in 2024. So all told, this has been about, um, well, nearly a two-year process, but about, I think, a solid year and a half as far as like my, you know, portion of fabricating and, and installing the pieces. So it's funny because this has been the longest term project that I've ever worked on, but actually in the realm of public art, this would be considered fairly um, fast, I think. This was considered a fast track uh, capital improvement project for the city. So they were really motivated to get this done and open. But um, I know with a lot of public projects, especially larger scale ones that, you know, they, they can be years um, depending on what stage of the process you're brought in as the artist and also, you know, how long it takes to get things like permitting and all kinds of construction delays. And um, even with this, we were initially supposed to install and, you know, the park was supposed to be open by May 2023. Um, and so it's now, you know, opening in January 2024. So you can see there just are 
delays are inevitable. I think that's something I've learned in the process is to really build that into your timeline and also to your budget to make sure that you have a good amount of buffer because almost every part of the process has been pushed back for one reason or or another, even though, you know, we were really committed to trying to meet whatever deadlines we'd set out for ourselves. But there are just things that are outside of your control, especially when, you know, the, the artwork is kind of like one element of like a greater project so for example we couldn't start producing the glass until they had put the framing in um, because that's how you verify the actual dimensions for each of the glass panels and the frames were delayed because of some supply chain issue and so you know they couldn't actually start making any of the glass until those were in place and then it's you know another like six to eight weeks from there at least for them to produce the glass before they can install it. So it, the, just everything has a sort of ripple effect to it. And I, I would just, um, yeah, kind of learn to expect things to take a little bit longer than you expect when it comes to public art. Man, it blows my mind that that's like considered a fast track project because it, like anything of that duration just seems so lengthy. And like, I, I mean, I know the answer from behind the scenes, but I'll ask for the sake of the podcast, but this was not the only project you were working on within that time frame. How were you like managing working on other things while moving this along? Were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a kind of a crazy summer, which is, you know, obviously why part of the reason we took a step back from the podcast. But now that we're c- coming back out to catch you up on everything, um, it really was like a uh, full-on sprint for the last six months or so, um, starting around April of this year when the fabrication was really ramping up for the mosaic. But kind of on top of that, I did have a couple of other larger painting commissions come through. And in the first phase of this project, the design phase, it really was pretty flexible. Like we would have, you know, it was a little bit stop and go, but it was pretty easy, I would say, to kind of bounce back and forth between other things because it wasn't, this project wasn't requiring like a full-time commitment at that point you know we would be working on like a part of the design but then you might be waiting several weeks to get approval on something so there was a good amount of time I think for me to be able to work on other paintings in the studio or take on other projects Um, I also moved studios in October last year 2022 so right before we were starting you know fabrication so that was kind of in preparation. Wow, I can't believe it's already been a year. I know. I'm just I'm in the process of renewing my lease right now, so it's it is kind of wild that it's already been a full year in that space. But I, I expanded my studio, um, you know, for for this piece, and also kind of with the. I mean, we talked about this in the last public art episode, but it was you know, it, it felt like a bit of a risk for sure because I, I doubled the size of my space and I tripled my overhead and I knew that I had this one project uh, coming up, but I, I wasn't really sure whether I would be able to maintain it, to be honest, and really just trusting that bigger projects would continue to come. And so I am really, really grateful that this year has kind of uh, proven that to be true. And I feel like when you make those kinds of investments in yourself and you take those calculated risks and you know, kind of stretch yourself in those ways that those opportunities will come back to you. And so um, looking back now, you know, like there's no way I would have been able to to do all, all of the projects that I did without the studio that I was in. And so it makes me feel like it really was the right move. And 
you know, even though I'm still kind of planning things out for next year, I think I feel much more secure in the decision to renew my lease and continue to be in this space. So that feels really good. But yeah, I had, you know, I feel like as like any full-time artist is probably like feels or is doing, you're, you're just always trying to keep a lot of rods in the fire or like stoking other relationships or, you know, kind of fielding other like potential projects and um, you're never quite sure what's going to manifest. But so um, I was kind of in conversation with a few different uh, places earlier in the year and uh, it was kind of a weird year. I don't know. I've heard from other artists that it felt much slower, like, you know, strangely in the aftermath of the pandemic, things like got really busy for a while, but then it felt like they kind of tapered off. And so I was hearing feedback from a lot of other artist friends that 2023 was like a little bit slower or like rockier for them. And I definitely had... Certainly my experience. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I digress, I guess. I mean, yeah, ebbs and flows of, I guess, working for yourself or just, you know, whatever's yeah. happening in the world certainly impacts um, the work that we're doing as artists. But um, but I, I remember having like a series of projects that I thought were, that sounded promising or like they, you know, they were going to go through, but then just like being kind of ghosted or they just like fell off the map. And I figured like, oh, they're okay, that's, they're done now. And, um, and then a couple that like came back around months later after a real lapse in correspondence. So I don't know, like all in all, I felt like the year was really busy, but it definitely felt like in the first half, um, there were a lot of projects that seemed to fizzle out. But then um, I would say around like May or maybe beginning of the summer is when, um, you know, I was like fully in the midst of fabricating this litho mosaic piece. And then a, a couple other projects that I had been like maybe gearing up for over the past few months were finally ready to move forward. And so I had a couple of other painting commissions that I was trying to sort of like slot in within the mosaic. And we'll talk more about this process later, but really having help in the studio was a big part of being able to do that. I think like having support in making the work allowed me to take on some of these other things. And I think just being really diligent about like how I was managing my time. You know, I wouldn't like recommend this necessarily, but from April through October, I was essentially working seven days a week in the studio without any breaks apart from a few days off when my brother came to visit and sister-in-law um, in May and uh, traveling out to Canada for a weekend for um, my partner Dave's dad's wedding in July. But other than that, and you know, maybe a, a day off here or there, I really didn't take um, any time away from the studio. But that said, you know, I've really um, tried to shift gears this past month and I've been prioritizing rest a lot more than I have. And so um, I don't think that's, uh, you know, you, you can kind of like have these short-term sprints um, as long as you're building in that time to recover and time for rest. So that's what I'm trying to focus on now. But might you be a bit burnt out? <laughs> you know, yes and no. I mean, I I will say that I feel really grateful to to be much more in control of my own schedule now than when I was... I'll say I've, I've felt much more burnt out in the past when I was working other full-time day jobs and trying to maintain a studio practice on nights and weekends or like juggling other things where you have very fixed 
um, demands on your time. And then you're just trying to like build in other, other projects around that. So even though I had all these projects going on, I felt like, you know, it, it was all within my control. And these are all opportunities that I chose to say yes to. So it was very self-imposed. And I also like, I did say no to some things like, you know, maybe for the first time I, I was invited to submit a proposal for a couple of other public projects towards the tail end mm-hmm. of this. And um, one of them I, I politely declined because I d- didn't feel like it was really the best fit. And I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, other projects I kind of like pushed back until later in the year or like, you know, I can... I, I would just try and be open. I think when I did get a new inquiry for a project to let them know that I'm fully booked with commissions until October of this year, but I could begin work on this, you know, in November and deliver this by January or something like that. So I think just being communicative with people that you're working with instead of trying to put on this front of like, yes, yes, I'll just, you know, do whatever. And then you're scrambling behind the scenes to figure it out. There's definitely some of that, but Again, it was really opportunities that I, f- I felt like I couldn't say no to. You know, I um, haven't been able to share. I've shared the some of the work um, like on Instagram, but I haven't been able to share some of the final locations for these other projects because I signed a couple of NDAs for them over the summer. But, you know, they're with larger like companies or more well-known brands that I'm really excited to have gotten to work with. So I didn't want to decline those opportunities, um, even though I had... Uh, a kind of a full schedule as it was and I just had to be really conscious about how I was planning my time so I basically you know we had this deadline to finish the mosaic and I had about a week um, in between the completion date and then traveling out to Arizona for the installation so I had kind of already set up and ready to go like starting work on this other painting project I had like a like a five by seven foot painting that I finished in that week in between. Um, I went out to Arizona for the installation and I had also started to prep the studio for this other large painting commission so that as soon as I got back um, from Arizona, I was essentially diving right into this other series of large scale paintings and I spent the next month just, you know, making those in the studio because we were scheduled to install them uh, the first weekend in October. And so, you know, it was pretty back to back, but I felt, you know, I felt motivated because I knew there was a sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And because I was excited about all of the projects in their own way. And I knew that, you know, after that point, I could really shift gears. And um, I've tried to you know, I, I knew there, there was definitely a limit to what I could do. So I had th- th- those series of projects. But again, there were some things that I had to either say no to, um, even though I, I probably would have taken them on under normal circumstances because of the timelines or, you know, I think there was like a mural project that had a really tight turnaround that, you know, would have been a great project, but I just um, had to be open about my availability. And, you know, they if that doesn't work out for them, that's fine. So, you know, I think trying to kind of control the... I don't feel as burnt out as I could have because I felt like I was still... These were things I chose to say yes to, and I knew it was for a short term period of time. Um, I, I did feel supported in the studio, you know, like I had um, the help of my studio assistants on the mosaic, and I just, I, yeah, I tried to be clear with other people that I was working with that this is sort of what I'm, what I'm working on, and was able to push back some other projects to later. So, it sort of it's all worked out 
<laughs> so for studio assistants, did you just have them working with you on the mosaic project? Was it like as soon as you were done assembling the mosaic, you were done? Or did they help with any of the other projects you were working on too? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, we can totally dive into the process of working with and hiring assistants because it was it was just enormously helpful. There's no way that this mosaic would have been completed without their help. Shout out to Shay England and Claire Dunn, my amazing studio assistants. <laughs> yeah, they they were just fantastic, and it was kind of a short term project. So you know, hopefully, I'll have other projects in the future where I could continue to to work alongside people in the studio because it really was a positive experience in my opinion. But I, I, I think having like a defined length of time um, and, you know, having it be something that I could build into the project budget for Clark Park is what enabled me to do it. And maybe had it not been for a project like that, I wouldn't have necessarily like taken that step to just hire the support on my own even though it's had me rethinking that now because I was able to get so much more done than I would have been able to on my own, which sounds really obvious, but I think we're just so used to kind of like like DIYing things or like being re- really resourceful and trying to like figure out ways to do it all ourselves because artists just are tend to be very independent and resourceful. Um, and so it's like, you know, I'm less likely to ask for help if even though it might take me an hour to try and figure something out on my own, but when I had somebody else there, it really, you know, I'm, I'm paying them for their time. So I want to make the most of it. And I was trying to be really just mindful of like, what, what are we trying to get done in the studio today? And I remember there was a moment in the beginning where I had like a whole list of all these studio tasks that I had, you know, kind of on my to-do list for like weeks or months, like changing out all the light bulbs and like filling in this gap on the wall so that I would have like a smooth surface to staple canvas to, um, just like all of these things that never felt like they were high priority, but like I really needed to get them done eventually. And I thought it was going to take us like a week in order, like spread out to do all these things. And we got through everything on the list in like three hours. It was just kind of mind-blowing to me how much faster things happened when you have support so wow yeah what a huge difference I mean I guess you you maybe already said the answer to this but like did it make you consider if you you know if you're in a position to be able to do so whether because of workload or finances like would you ever consider having a like a permanent assistant or like bringing in part-time assistants for future projects? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm grateful for this public project for kind of like pushing me to make make that jump. And I, and I so I've been working, I guess, more solo the last few months um, to like go back to your early, earlier question. When we were all in the studio, the I would say 90 90 to 95% of the time was just fabricating the mosaic piece. But there were definitely some other like studio tasks that I had help with. We had to do some like reorganizing and like shifting around of furniture and things to prepare for the mosaic. But I was also kind of like doing that in anticipation of some of these larger painting projects. Um, So just moving things around the studio, other, yeah, like studio tasks. But once we finished the mosaic, that was sort of when I shifted back to working more independently. And that was part of our, like part of the agreement too. I think, you know, it worked out for them. Um, They had other things going on in the fall and it was sort of always positioned as being a a short-term summer gig. So 
yeah, I really, I would definitely um, love to, to work with them or to bring on other studio assistants in the future. And it's great to kind of like have had a little bit of exposure to to that because I, I think otherwise, like, again, you're just so used to doing things on your own, but it really can make a difference to just get help when you need it. <laughs> Before we like dive into hiring just the process and stuff about hiring I'm curious about what led you to the decision to actually hire assistants I want to say I probably grilled like Heather Day in our conversation with her years ago about hiring help because I I think she had like been bringing on new new assistants in the studio and I was like tell me everything what's it like what do you know how do you know um, and I'm still kind of curious. I mean, she gave a ton of valuable information in that episode. So if we miss anything here, you can hear more there. Or another advice from another about hiring. Yeah, I remember Marie Watt talked about that too. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, because she definitely has studio assistants to work with different projects. But yeah, I'm curious how you knew you were ready to hire help, like whether it was a pure mental math of like, oh, I can only make this much in a day and I only have so many days left and that doesn't math into a complete project in time or if if there were just like other criteria that led you to be like yes this is in fact the right move for me it's not just like a thought or a fantasy it is an actionable process that I'm gonna pursue yeah yeah I think I think it definitely was motivated by the demands of the project. And so for that, I, I really credit the Tempe Clark Park project for kind of like pushing me to making these moves that otherwise I might have just taken a lot longer to decide or I don't know, like kind of deliberated on for longer. And I think the same was true for moving studios. You know, there were a few reasons that I was starting to look for new spaces, but really having a project like this that I feel like just necessitated having more floor space to work on was really what kind of gave me the like the confidence and the motivation to feel like I really need to find a new space for this. So it was the same thing with hiring assistants. I, I felt like it was pretty it wasn't actually a difficult decision for me. I think it was a little bit of the the doing the math <laughs> and um, the mosaic itself was broken up into like seven large sections basically that were more um, for the purposes of in being able to install it. Like the there's like kind of like a maximum size for how big you can make these concrete pours and for them to still be like structurally sound. So we had the mosaic divided into these sections, um, even though the composition itself was continuous, but it kind of gave some clear benchmarks for being able to measure like how long you know, every section or like how many square foot approximately square feet can I complete in like a day or a week. And um, so that, that I think like once I was starting to get into the process and kind of figure out like, okay, what, what is my normal natural working rhythm based on how like fast I was progressing um, and then how many months we had left to finish the piece, it it just became very clear that I'm going to need like more hands working on this um, because there's no way I can finish all these sections by myself. So I did like three sections. Pure math. (laughs) Yeah, really. um, I'd finished three, like some were bigger than others. So I I, like started with some of the smaller ones. I did like two, two or three of the smallest sections first. 
And then we were starting to get into the really massive, I probably had like 75% of the piece left by, you know, and this is maybe April. Um, so I'm really like thinking, okay, we've got May, June, July, half of August. So three and a half months. Um, and I, we have four sections left. So I basically have to complete one of these large sections per month in order for us to meet this deadline. And so that that's really what motivated the decision to hire assistants. But I still, I think I wasn't sure um, like how many how many people I would need or like how many hours. So again, really grateful for both Claire and Shay for being kind of on board with um, being flexible and also down for the challenge of meeting a pretty ambitious deadline um, because we definitely expanded. I think when I first ad- started advertising the role, I was looking for like one person to help eight to 10 hours a week. You know, I just thought like having someone there like one or two days would be enough, but really it ended up that they were both there part-time, I would say at least like 20 plus hours per week. Uh, So it amounted to probably like having, you know, I could have also had one person working with me full-time, maybe like 40 plus hours. But yeah, so I ended up hiring two people and... So we, we sort of, you know, there's still like that process of figuring things out as you go. And I think we were all kind of learning together, but thankfully they were open to, you know, increasing the number of hours needed and, and we were able to sort of like backtrack and figure out as we were working, like how, how much we needed to get, to get done each week, each month in order to meet our deadline. How long did it take you to hire assistants? Like the time between making the decision, I need help and I'm going to go for it. And like you have an assistant in your studio ready to work on your project. Um, oh, that's a good question. I should look back to figure out exactly. But I think it was probably about a month um, b- between okay. maybe like putting out the call. And, you know, I had I'd worked previously in career development for listeners that don't know. I uh, used to work in career development at California College of the Arts. So I felt like I had a fairly good sense for the hiring process. And, you know, I wrote up a job description based on what I was looking for. And I just advertised it within my own networks. Um, I put it out to a couple of Bay Area artist-based f- Facebook groups. I shared it with my with some of my former colleagues at, at CCA because um, I, I thought this would be a good summer job potentially for a student or a recent grad since the time frame was, you know, pretty much like May through August over the summer. And so shared it with my the director of career development, my former boss, and then a couple um, faculty members or chairs of different departments. Um, but that was pretty much it. So it was it was pretty targeted, I think, the way that I tried to advertise it. And um, I remember hearing, I don't know whether this was from Heather or another previous guest, but like a bit of advice uh, we had gotten from a past uh, podcast episode on just interviewing a lot of candidates to really try and get exposure to who's out there and and just go through the process um, of interviewing people. And it'll make the decision a lot easier to just kind of figure out what what it is you're really looking for and, and who's a good fit. So I did try to do that. I, I think I interviewed about a dozen people and it really helped to get a sense for, you know, each person's background and I think helped clarify for me what what were the most like important aspects because, you know, again, it was, I think schedule was a big factor. Someone that was kind of down for the, for the cause, um, knowing this was going to be a pretty demanding project for a short period of time. 
but then you know someone who's willing to work hard obviously who's just got a good attitude in general willing to learn I didn't necessarily need someone with mosaic experience because I felt like it was something they could pick up and that we could you know we would be kind of like working together and initially I thought the role was going to be much more production oriented so the mosaic process conveniently is is well it's very process based so (laughs) there's essentially like two there's like the mosaic tile and assembly and then once all the tiles are laid down in the mesh we go back through and like glue every tile individually so there's like the assembly and the gluing and i thought that where i was going to need the most help was with the gluing and then i would focus on the assembly so when i first was like advertising for the role that's how i kind of positioned it So, you know, someone who's very um, patient, detail-oriented, methodical, (laughs) willing to do that type of work, you know, and someone that you're, you're, um, we're going to be spending a lot of time together in the studio. Um, So these were kind of like the qualities that I was looking for in a candidate. And I um, did the first round of interviews uh, all virtually. And then I invited a couple of people to meet up at my studio briefly just so they could see the space and like see the piece in progress, like see, you know, we can meet face to face. They could see if it's like something that they wanted to spend all summer working on. And we could do, um, we had them do like a brief, like a demo or just like kind of working a little bit on a mosaic sample just to see how they would approach the process, like trying to get to know their their like thinking and their approach. And so that's how I found both Claire and Shay, who were um, really wonderful and I think just brought like a lot of positive energy to the studio. Um, but also I think what really stood out to me is, I mean, they're both just like terrific people, great, you know, artists and makers, really uh, strong like visual problem solvers. One was a recent graduate from CCA, um, and then Shay had worked as a studio assistant for a number of other artists around the Bay Area, and I feel like they both brought like their own strengths, and so we had a great like team collectively for the project, and so it really just um, changed the dynamic completely of working on the project because I think you know like for me it helps me to just better articulate and communicate like my own process and kind of figure out I think it helped me really to manage our time in the studio because it wasn't just like me showing up to work every day but I had to think about um, okay like what what are we all doing today like what are we trying to accomplish and yeah just again like the sheer amount of things that we were able to get done like it was just such a more efficient way of working than if I was by myself so there were really, I think, a lot of benefits to it. I don't know how to necessarily articulate this like question or comment, and I don't know whether it's a question or a comment. But I, I've noticed in my experience, a lot of times if I'm like either parallel working alongside another artist or if I'm like on the phone, you know, having a long conversation while I work, like sometimes just the dynamic of or actually over the summer, like working in a different space, like in Mike's workplace with his co-workers like just having other people to work around I feel like it tends to make me more productive with my time like I'm more on task I'm less distracted and maybe I'm projecting as someone with ADHD that like I get easily distracted when I'm alone but sometimes when I'm working around other people it just like it helps my personal workflow be more smooth I don't know if you like had Mm. any kind of notice in like 
whether it was uh, more efficient just because there were literally more hands on the project or if like having other people in your studio helped you stay on task because you're like, okay, I'm responsible for all of us doing things. So like, let's make sure we're all doing what we got to do. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's like that coffee shop effect or something, which, well, maybe that's not a good comparison because I feel like I'm not actually that productive in coffee shops, but it's just (laughs) like the awareness of having other people around you makes you a little more focused. And I think that was definitely true, you know, because I, I was bringing in um, people to help, help with the mosaic, but it, it wasn't like I was outsourcing it to them. Like, you know, I was also working on it alongside them all day. So we were all, I think, really collaboratively working on this piece, but also it helped in the times when, like, I don't think I even realized how much I would get pulled away from certain things, but especially as these other painting commissions were gearing up, like there's so much preparation and work that happens before you even get to the making of a piece. So whether you're like negotiating timelines or like, you know, you're getting like unexpected calls during the day about like some change in material or something that's going to impact your workflow. Like there's just always things that seem to crop up. And as much as I try and kind of like protect the studio time there, sometimes there are just things that kind of urgently need your attention. And it felt really good to know that like if I had to jump on a phone call or like step away and kind of like figure out this thing for the next hour or two, that the mosaic was still moving forward. Like we were still making progress on that piece. So that's one area where it helped a lot, but I think it definitely did focus me um, in the studio too, because we just showed up and like got to work and knew what we were working on. And So that's, I guess, something I didn't mention is like, you know, when I first uh, hired on help, I thought I would need like one person, eight to 10 hours. Turns out it was going to be like much more. But I also like, I felt like I really expanded the scope of the role because I was thinking that this was going to be really production oriented, just focused on gluing, but realized that I was really going to need help with all aspects of the piece. So that was like a good starting point, I think. Um, When they each started in the studio, we were like started out with the gluing process, which also became a way to just like get familiar with the process and the medium and the way that I was approaching it as an artist because, you know, we wanted the final piece to feel, look and feel really cohesive, like it was coming from the same voice as opposed to this kind of patchwork. So, you know, didn't want it to necessarily look as if multiple people had worked on it, but but the gluing kind of like helped to build up to being able to transition into assembling. And then there are kind of like these like mini benchmarks built in within that because, you know, once every section gets placed, there's a chance for us to like review it or make any adjustments and then everything gets glued down. So there was a lot of opportunity, I think, for everyone to sort of grow into like the role or getting to like work on different parts of the piece. So that was really helpful, but it also required like being flexible with your own expectations because, you know, again, I thought maybe initially oh, I'm going to budget X amount for the summer to have one person come in and help me. And then realizing actually like this is going to have to be a much bigger, you know, portion of the fabrication budget or like thankfully we had a contingency, which is usually a requirement of public art projects is to have like a 10 or 15 percent contingency that's sort of mandatory and that's held by the city Um, and then only released if you basically if you exceed like what was initially approved in your budget. So so you, you'll get reimbursed for some of those costs after the fact. 
but you know, if you exceed the contingency, then you'll have to go back to city council and it's a whole process. So anyways, we definitely maxed out the contingency, both for um, like the increased hours uh, for, you know, having help in the studio and for the installation costs, which were more than we'd initially budgeted for just because of the the nature of the project. But I also, so I guess what I was getting to is that I had like the hourly rate I initially had come up with was for this like very narrow like production focus but realizing that I was needing to expand the scope of the role I also increased the hourly rate from what I originally advertised and so mm-hmm. I just think being like willing to be flexible like we're all kind of learning throughout the process and you know I, I felt like what I thought that I was going to need and then the support I actually needed were two different things so making sure you're just um you know, like valuing the people that you work with too, I think, and, and like compensating accordingly and um, and just being open. Like we had to have some, like, I, I think we were all like very like communicative with one another because, you know, they're both, they have lives and other things going on outside of working with me in the studio. So it's just one thing that they do. And um, we all had like things going on throughout the summer. So just being really open throughout the process around like, okay, I'm going to need to like take this week off. And so, you know, like, let's talk about how we can make up that time either before and after, or, you know, when I was realizing that I was actually going to need more support in the studio, like talking with them about, is this something that you feel comfortable committing to? Or like, do you all think it would be helpful to have a third person come in and help us? Um, Like, you know, just being, I think being really open and honest with Mm -hmm. um, people is helpful. I feel like that's also good advice for folks that have never hired before, like the importance of taking in the like consideration and feedback of the people that you're bringing in to work with you, because they're obviously going to be part of the team. And like, just like any role any of us have played in any workplace, you want it to be a good experience for everyone involved and like just keeping that feedback as a high value probably also just helps you be a better like boss in this moment and also like understanding everyone's capacity and whatnot. I think um, also because the role was so tied to this project, it it felt really collaborative um, for me. You know, I, I really felt like we were a team that was working together on this and there wasn't any sort of hierarchy. It did help me to think about how to clarify or like to communicate your vision because it is your work at the end of the day. Like you want to make sure that you're communicating your process or what you need, whether that's related to the piece itself or just, you know, things like scheduling, but also, yeah, just uh, keeping in mind that, you know, there are people that are, they're willing to dedicate their time and like coming in and like supporting you in this project. And so that, that really meant a lot. And, you know, everyone's like we're all just humans, so tra- treating everyone as such, and just being like understanding and kind and like flexible where you can. And and again, it was it, I felt like it was just a learning process all around. I, I really learned a lot, and I feel really grateful to have had such wonderful people to work with. And I I'm glad that because you know I thought the role like like I could have or what am I trying to say? Like I think interviewing a lot of folks initially really helped and just balancing the the needs of the project with yeah people like working with people that you that you respect and that you know you just want to spend time with as a human I think that's an important element especially in like a studio environment when you're just working closely alongside someone it's not it's kind of a unique like work situation I know so I felt like that was important yeah I 
was going to ask earlier if it was like more a consideration or maybe you didn't have any priority with it, but like if you were taking into consideration like, oh, this is a this is a person that I really want to like work alongside and spend my time with or more like, oh, this is a person that can get the job done or if those were kind of of equal value to you or if one sort of took precedence. Yeah, I think that's a good question because I I felt like they were both important, but it is also like you do have to remember that you're not just trying to hire a friend like you are looking for. You're trying to get get this project done. So I feel like they were both qualities. Like, obviously, I was just drawn to people that had a a positive energy and a positive attitude because I feel like that is reflected in the work ethic and just, you know, we are going to be working closely together. So people that like you can see yourself spending eight hours, you know, Mm -hmm. five to eight hours a day with. But also like, you know, I was I I thought like the things that kind of like stood out to me were like the the like creative problem solving, the work ethic. I thought like, okay, I, I can see like evidence of working within like tight deadlines in the past and like how they're, you know, kind of like problem solving in order to get it done. Like they're able to balance the creative like conceptual part of the process with the project management which i think is really critical for public art or any project in general um oh for sure yeah it's it's easy to sort of get sucked into the creative and you can you can spend endless time but when you have these hard deadlines you you really have to balance it with a an awareness of like i think that was one of the questions too is just like how do you like how do you manage your own time or like what's your approach to meeting deadlines or managing projects Um, So still making sure that you're getting like the information that you need and, you know, you're looking for and like no, like a no, I don't know, just kind of like leaving your ego at the door. Like I felt like what stood out to me is a shared like interest and commitment to the work where it was like, you know, we, we can all like be open and communicative, but I'm happy to accept feedback and, you know, want to be able to share feedback and it not feel like it's personal, but we're really, it's kind of in service of the work and so these are all things that I was kind of like thinking about in the process uh, as far as what might be valuable to me. But I think for everyone, it'll be different, you know, if you're looking to potentially hire on like a, a studio assistant and then the like the patients and, you know, kind of being detail oriented, things like that, because the mosaic is very requires <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. When you were interviewing, did you have like a set list of questions that you asked everyone if so, would you be willing to share it? If not, yeah. how did you know what to ask? Yeah. Yes. Because um, the questions may be like totally personal depending on what, you know, an individual is hiring for. Yeah. I remember when I was making the job description, I had actually saved because I've seen some other artists who actually, I think Wendy Chen, our past podcast guest, had posted yes. a call for like a full-time studio assistant, or maybe it was a studio manager. And I remember Mm -hmm. looking at it and just loving the way that she, I I just love the job description, like how she Mm -hmm. broke down what she was looking for, but also the culture of her studio. And so I think I had saved Mm -hmm. a PDF of that, even though this was like long before I was looking to hire anyone myself. So that's a good like point of reference, I would say, is like if you're like whether or not you're looking for a job or you're looking to hire someone, like if you happen to see other artists that you follow or like admire that are like posting or I mean, you could even just go on any like NIFA or like any job arts job platform to kind of figure out like the at least the job description portion. 
And then that's kind of what I use to generate the questions too, is like, okay, if these are the qualities that I'm looking for, like what kinds of questions might kind of help to like assess that. So I can totally share the list. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't really remember what was on there, but I'm happy to pull it up and share it with our listeners. We can include it with the episode page. Listeners, if you're not aware, we release a web page that goes along with every episode that includes images and notes, links to everything we talk about. So you can go straight there and see the list right now that we can't recall, but you, you can see it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But yeah, I had a set list of questions that I asked every person. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, just if like if anyone's in a place where they're thinking about potentially hiring on a studio assistant or, you know, any other role, one thing that you should definitely do is talk with your accountant. (laughs) I don't think I mentioned this in the beginning, but, you know, depending on where you live, every state or like city or country is going to have different rules for hiring and especially if you're hiring a contractor versus an employee so this was a short-term gig that i was hiring they were both independent contractors but you should know again every state's going to have different rules for like what who qualifies um and and you should know what those are so make sure that before you like move forward with putting up a job description that you just are like following all the laws of your state and (laughs) you've had a chat with your accountant so that they're also aware and they can advise you on next steps. Yeah. Plus, I'm sure they can help you figure out how to budget for hiring because that's that's quite an expense, whether it's, you know, long term or short term and a lot to consider with taking that on. Yeah. And depending on what your needs are, I mean, you know, your first hire, it may not be like a full time employee, but maybe you're just kind of feeling a little overextended and you you could really use someone to come in one day a week to your studio. And I think that's a good entry. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a big project or a big long-term commitment. I think as long as you're open about that when you're like posting the role, then that's a great good way to kind of like dip your toes in the water. And having like a defined period of time can be helpful too. So in this case, knowing that it was a summer project gave us all the chance to sort of, you know, I would love if if I had like other projects or it could be more long-term, but in this case, for me, it was really just um, centered around this one project. And now I'm, I'm pretty much back to working by myself. But, um, you know, it's probably going to be different for everyone based on what you need. Are there any other thoughts, comments, advice, takeaways, processes around the hiring process that you have not mentioned that you wanted to share? Because I have a few unrelated questions, but I don't want to take us away if we're not ready to leave this subject yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I feel like we've talked about a lot. Um, I guess like I'm interested to because I, you know, I was hiring on studio assistants for this really specific role, but I could definitely see now like other things that would be helpful to have. It would be nice to have some help on in the studio, like when I'm stretching canvas or like certain parts of the process when I'm priming things. I can obviously like outsource this if I'm getting, you know, bars built. I know a lot of artists just have these delivered, but I still do a lot of that myself in the studio. And so I could totally see like for other parts of my process, you know, having help on that. Or I've never really thought about hiring like an administrative assistant, but I know that some artists will also bring in help to to manage their like calendar or their inbox or like you know help with updating their website or cataloging work I mean there's a lot of things that 
you might need. So we've been talking a lot about studio assistance, but we've had some other conversations, um, like you mentioned the episode with Murray Watt or Heather Day, where we talked about hiring on help. And so those would be good references too. Yeah, definitely. We can link those episodes as well. Oh, I wanted to ask, and I guess this could be related to like having assistance in the studio, but like, how did you stay organized in the studio, especially with like amassing a huge quantity of a brand new material and like all of the tools and accessories and like storage for that? Like, how did you stay organized? And I'm sure also organization is pretty necessary if you have other people coming into your studio, like they need to know where things are too. So how did how did you do that? How did you get your studio space ready to like take on all this new stuff, but also make it useful to multiple people where like you wouldn't have to be like, oh, yeah, this is there every time something was needed? Oh, I'm all about a system. I think a lot of this happened back when in December when I was like acquiring material for the project because I did a lot of thinking before about how I might need to set up the space, but then also like you, I don't know, things change when you're actually working in the studio and you realize what you need or like how you need to have stuff set up. So I think it's a little, it's a flexible thing. But for me, like we had, I had a shelf with all of the tile. So I had like, you know, hundreds of pounds of mosaic tile and all these colors that I organized into clear bins that were all labeled and color coded. So based on the like design I'd created, there were like, you know, 30 core colors and within that there were like various like tiles of various shapes and shades and so I had um, all of the different tile types in their own bin with like labels you know colors one through 29 or whatever and so I think we kind of tried to keep them I could share like a photo of this too or something but we just kind of tried to keep it organized on the shelf they would be in like kind of numerical order but Yeah, there was definitely like as I think as far as having other studio assistants come in, like that was how I was keeping myself organized. Oh, and then like the template for the mosaic was it essentially looks like a big paint, like paint by numbers template where like all of the shapes have been traced out and they're numbered. And then we're, you know, we're like assembling each section one, like one color, one shape at a time. So it's pretty clear, like a correspondence of like, okay, this set of tiles is going to go in this area. And I think as we were working together, you just kind of build up a familiarity with it you're like well where's color 25 oh that's the like yellowy green color like those bins are over there and we would try and keep relatively on top of like cleaning up our workspace at the end of the day but I just had like multiple you know there's like tile cutters and glue and I had like a few rolling carts with those things on them and then we would try and like if things were getting too chaotic we would just try and like put the tiles back in the bins and like put the bins back on the shelf. But sometimes like things get spread out and you just end up with clusters of materials. But I think it's just like, you know, process of we were all kind of like working together and trying to stay relatively organized. But I'm sure it's, it's you know, it's different for every artist. But that's that's part of just getting to know like the flow of the studio is like there's going to be an element of training involved just in the sense of like showing where where things are and also getting things as you need them. Like I had a couple of kneeling pads that were pretty like important for sitting and working on the floor all day. And, you know, as we would be working, like I ended up ordering a few more of those and I was just picking up all of the tiles by hand at first and gluing them. 
And then when Shay started working, I remember her being like, this is so like, do you have any like tweezers or anything that I can use to pick these up because they're so tiny. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like I didn't think about that. Here's a pair of tweezers. And then, you know, she started using them and then it was like, well, the tiles keep slipping off. So I wonder if they make like tweezers with like little grips on the end, like are they covered in plastic or something that would be easier. So then I just like looked up online to see like, oh, are there tweezers with like plastic grips on the end? And yeah, they make all these medical tweezers for things like this. So, you know, you just kind of like brilliant acquire stuff based on the changing needs in the studio. That was a little unrelated to your question, but... I felt like it was pretty no, I think evolving. I think that's smart. And like there are all these unique tools developed to do these unique things. But a lot of those things can also work for other things. Do you have any or well, I guess I'll use that knee or the like kneeling pad as the, the segue into my question about like, how'd you manage your like physical health and wellness while doing this project? I know you said you were working like seven days a week and you had mentioned before, like just, you know, it's a different energy working on a, you know, a mural or a massive painting versus working on your knees on these like tiny little mosaic tiles for many, many hours. How'd you, how'd you stay okay? (laughs) How'd you not hurt super bad at the end of every day? Or maybe you did hurt super bad at the end of every day. (laughs) <laughs> well, I have the same question for you because I feel like even more more so than me, like you're sewing all day and like there's just mm-hmm. a, like the physical demand of doing re- like repetitive motions that I'm glad you mentioned it because <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's something we don't really talk about enough um, as artists. Like it is actually a very physically demanding job in a lot of cases and I've felt that I mean you know we're we're both in our nearing mid-30s at this point and I just Mm -hmm. feel like things that I could do no problem like stretching huge canvases in my 20s and not really feel the like fatigue from it um I just can't do anymore so definitely I've had to be Mm -hmm. a lot more mindful of my physical health and just taking care of my body, Um, not only for this project, but I actually think that it started when I was taking on that large painting commission in DC a few years ago, like the project that allowed me to leave my day job. You know, it was these massive, I basically had gone from, you know, I was working like full-time administrative job during COVID, like sitting on my couch all day for a year at least to leaving that job to take on these enormous paintings that are 17 by 15 feet where I'm crawling up and down scaffolding all day. And honestly, like one of the bigger challenges with that project was the physical aspect, just going from like zero to 60, it felt like, and needing to be very like active. And, you know, I was biking to and from the studio I was working and just the sort of physical movements of working on something that's so much larger than your body really, um, made me realize that I was going to have to take a lot better care of myself and just build up the strength to be able to do that. I think to, to work like at a large scale and my paintings are really like gestural and it is like a total body experience for me. Like I'm never sitting, I'm always moving around and I'm working on the floor or the wall or crawling up and down ladders. And so just being able to rely on my own like core strength in that is important. And so really uh, thanks to you, Amanda, I started doing yoga more I mean, I say consistently, but it's really not. I, I wish I had a more regular 
like daily practice. But yeah, out of necessity, I just needed to like stretch out and build up that physical strength. So I've been trying to do more yoga, um, especially with the mosaic, because I would, we talked a little bit about this before the call, I think, but I noticed that with that piece, because we're spending all day sitting on the floor and like kind of like hunched over in these really compressed positions, I felt like I really needed to like just make sure that we were stretching out. Um, and I would I bike to and from my studio, so I felt like my legs would get really cramped because I would go from biking to then like sitting on my legs. And at the end of the day, I would just be, yeah, like very cramped and sore. So um, trying to do a lot more yoga, the lower back, it was more legs for me, like, I don't know, a little bit of lower back pain, but using, um, you know, the tools, like I would have never really thought to, like the knee pads, man, those were so important. The, the sitting or the kneeling pads in the studio, those are like a requirement now. And a lot of the buildings, I don't know if this is like style of architecture or I don't know what, but like everything's made of concrete, it seems. So like the floors in my apartment are all concrete. Like half the places I go to, there is everything's concrete. So just like- Very solid. <laughs> yeah, like I have all these rugs and um, uh, floor coverings in my studio, partly to protect the terrible linoleum floors for like being able to retrieve my security deposit if ever I move, but also because it's like more um, padded to sit or stand on, so. Oh yeah, I'm remembering I've seen a handful of artists like basically uh, cover their floors with those like kind of uh, like kid play mats or like the the like squishy tiles for you know that they'd have in like a daycare oh, yeah. um because they're you know they're designed to protect kids from falling over and being able to sit on the ground all day and they can it can help our backs and and feet and you know whatever support it can help our bones too <laughs> yeah yeah, I think, you know, when we're trying to like build these long-term creative practices, we do have to find ways to take care of our bodies at different stages of life. So I think just trying to like build up more strength and flexibility for me in this time so I can continue like working large scale and taking the, on the projects that I want to. But for, you know, every artist process is going to be different and your needs will be different. But I think I've realized, especially in the last couple of years, how all these things I took for granted like 10 years ago, I, sh I really need to be more mindful of. And I mean, that goes for everything. It's like, you know, I just trying to like eat better and you just you just feel things more like, the next day. Mm -hmm. Probably there's probably artists who are listening in their like 50s and 60s that are like, oh, my gosh, give me a break. You youngsters. Yeah, they're like, like you ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait. You don't even know what can hurt. <laughs> and we're like, we're like the elder millennials, like, listen up, Gen Z, you don't even know. Yeah, youths, please protect your posture. I'll say for myself, since my uh, work is so tedious, pre like consistently, I try to keep a rotation of like, I'll have some days where I'm sitting and working some days or like sitting on a couch or chair. Uh, sometimes I work from bed. Love those days. Um, and some days nice. I work on the floor, some days I work at a standing desk. So like having a rotation of like, this is a standing mm. day, this is a sitting on the ground day, that all seems helpful, like just keeping a rotation because it's like if I sit in a chair all day, every day, endlessly, I get, you know, aches and pains in certain ways and keeping, keeping a rotation. Yeah. 
it's like when the work's repetitive, you have to find ways to like bring in variety to your movements. Otherwise, I will say like the more I do yoga, the more I do yoga, like or any kind of physical practice. I find that the more I keep that top of mind by integrating it into my daily life, the more I'm able to recognize when I'm practicing bad and uncomfortable posture in the moment where I'm like, oh, I'm mm. hunching. That's why my back is hurting. This is a good time to like change position or like do a stretch or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I guess that's why they call it a practice. Right. I know. <laughs> and we're just, we're just two white women talking about yoga, but yeah. <laughs> we have found it to be very helpful. We're not trying to prescribe anything, but it's been a, a beneficial physical practice for me. I have found. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Oh, I did want to ask, and this, I guess, is related to the physical stuff. Um, did you have any advice on, like, being your own art handler? Because you also transported this stuff solo many states oh, over. Yeah. Or states over. You, you did a lot of driving um, by yourself to get this over. Do you have any advice around the transportation of it all? Yeah, I realized I hadn't really talked much about the actual installation of the mosaic um, because I did go out to Arizona in person. And yeah, I actually transported the mosaic myself, which was for a couple of reasons. One had to do with budget and the other was just like timing and logistics. Um, so I, I don't know that I would do this for every piece, but I did look into like, you know, having art handlers drive out the work. Um, so the mosaic, after it's created in, in these huge sections, it's actually, it's like a big piece of like chain link or something. Like it's, it's heavy, but it's pretty flexible. So we can actually roll it up around these large, uh, long PVC pipes. So we had these like 12 foot kind of lightweight PVC pipes from the hardware store that each of the mosaic sections got rolled around. So at the end, I had these very long, heavy, but pretty slim uh, rolls of mosaic to be transported and we had such a tight turnaround between finishing the piece and driving it out to Arizona like I, I said way earlier it was like a week time in between so to work with an art handling company to you know get that done in that amount of time would have been really expensive um, that is a route that we could have gone and that's you know how we got those huge paintings out to Washington DC a few years ago that's like one form of transportation, but I was already planning to go out there. Um, and so rather than kind of like paying, you know, art handlers to transport the mosaic and then also flying myself out for the installation, I just figured like, let me combine these into one and I'll just drive the mosaic myself. So that's what I did. Um, I rented a, an XL cargo van from Enterprise and um, I did have like the mosaic sections were probably... I don't know, like a hundred plus pounds each. So I did, I had, I had movers um, to bring the pieces from my studio into the van. And then thankfully on the other side, I was meeting, you know, on site and there's like a whole team of construction guys and concrete installers that could help unload it. So I didn't actually have to physically move the mosaic rolls, but I did drive from San Francisco down like through LA over to Phoenix where we were installing and I split the drive up. It's about 15 hours. So I split it up over two days and I stayed. I think that was one of the things I was most nervous about because I just wanted to make sure I got the work there safely. And, you know, there was something to be said for being able to like personally oversee that, but then it also just created a lot of 
extra anxiety because I was driving by myself and I had just never driven through the desert before. And I, I didn't know like having a big cargo van full of like, you know, heavy stuff in, uh, this is end of August. So it's like 115 degree heat. I was, I just had all these fears, like the van's going to break down in the middle of the desert and I'm going to be stranded. And you know, it was a little irrational, but I did have like multiple gallons of water stowed. No, they're reasonable things to consider. I mean, I've heard so many nightmare stories from Mike from their years of actively touring of just the things that can happen to your transportation when you're in the middle of nowhere with no service and suddenly your transmission goes up and you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you kind of have to plan for the worst um, mm -hmm. in some cases. And so I had, yeah, I was kind of nervous about that. But honestly, it, it ended up, you know, everything was fine. And these are very like well-trafficked highways. So I feel like the visions I had of being on this like one lane highway in the desert with no one <laughs> around was not exactly, you know, there's like tons of cars going back and forth from Phoenix to LA. So it was fine. Yeah. But I did also, um, another thing I did was to, rather than stay at a hotel overnight um, to split the drive up, I found an Airbnb that was in a, like a more residential oh, nice. area so that I could have a place to park the van where it wouldn't be, like draw attention to itself because I was also mm -hmm. nervous about, you know, like someone seeing a big U-Haul in a parking lot and the van getting broken into, so. And somebody steals your mosaic and you're like, no. Yeah. I needed that. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but that actually happened to an artist in Oakland um, like oh earlier this year where they had uh, large parts of a public sculpture stored in the back that was parked somewhere overnight and it got broken into and parts of the, mo the sculpture were stolen. So I don't know what Jeez. use people have for that, but, you know, I mm -hmm. de definitely didn't want to like, just wanted to take all yeah. the measures so that nothing was put at risk. So... And then drove the mosaic out there. So the installation ended up taking about a week. So the concrete, I'll just like briefly go through it. Um, but for me, like the hardest parts of the process were over. Like I was there to sort of safely oversee the transport of the work and then to just kind of be on site um, and then, you know, available. But there wasn't really a whole lot for me to do as far as the installation. So it's, it's a good exercise in kind of letting go because you spend all this time on a work, but then you know, it gets to go off and live its own life and you have to really trust the the other teams you're working with. And so in this case, it was handing off the mosaic to this team of installers to be the ones to place it in the concrete. And that that is its final form. And so it really was um, kind of a, yeah, it was cool to be there in person and just like see the process of it going in because it, it just gave me a, an appreciation and respect for the other uh, like types of expertise on this kind of project. Like, you know, I have one relationship to the mosaic from spending all this time, like laying all the tiles, but then these concrete guys like have an entirely different skill set, and they're, they're really like this company, Progressive Hardscapes. Uh, like I said, they're licensed in lithomosaics. So this is like a kind of specialty process that not every concrete company can do. And they're really like the artisans of the concrete world. I'm not kidding. They've got their specialty is decorative concrete. So they're not doing like typical sidewalk pours, um, but it's really like more elaborate, you know, textures or designs or things like that. And so these lithomosaics are part of that, but they, yeah, they, they just, uh, they, they took really good care of the piece, which I, appreciated because you know you're like 
you're on like an active construction site and there's like concrete getting poured and it's messy and like there's lots happening. And so I feel like um, to see like the level of care within that to make sure that the mosaic was like placed exactly, that everything lined up, that we weren't like losing tiles in the process of, I mean, more than is there's, you know, you're going to lose a few here and there, but um, just like really kind of taking care to make sure that the, the work is preserved and that it's placed in a way that, you know, the artist is happy with. And and this was a pretty challenging install for them too. This was the largest mosaic they had ever put in. And there were some kind of unique challenges to, to the install, just the way that the sections were broken up and how they kind of like butted up against multiple walls made it a, a little more challenging for them to maneuver around it. Because um, again, these streets are oh, heavy. Yeah. So they have like a dozen people lifting and then placing each section in the concrete once it's been poured and so you know they have to do that within a certain amount of time before the concrete starts to cure and then there's a sort of process of like submerging the tiles uh, allowing it to cure pulling back the mesh and then finishing it off like going back in with trowels and scraping and revealing the tiles within it um, and then like smoothing it and rinsing it off and this all has to be done like once you pour concrete it's like you know, you're kind of racing the clock before things start to set up. And especially in a place like Arizona, where you have the summer heat, oh, yeah. um, the installation actually took place uh, over overnight. So all of this was happening before sunrise, which, you know, most like, again, I just, it's such a different world. Like I d- don't, don't even think about these things mostly, but in extreme climates like this, a lot of the construction work is happening before sunrise because it's just too hot to work or, you know, it impacts the materials. So these guys were on site every day by 3 a.m. and were starting to pour concrete by like 4, 4.30. Um, and then, you know, each section was like fully in place by 9 a.m. for the most part. And so we did basically one section a day. So I think it took like Monday through Friday and then the next Monday, six days in total. So driving the mosaic out myself actually gave more flexibility because I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. Um, and then I did drive the van back emptied once the install was done, but it kind of gave a little bit more like buffer at the end for when I was heading back. Wow. It Again, I urge listeners to go look at what Nicole has shared, like videos and photos from the behind the scenes of the install process because that was so fascinating to see and like the way you describe it it reminds me of like trying to do really precise printmaking but like that's me able to maneuver a tiny lightweight piece of paper but like having (laughs) to maneuver this massive heavy chunk of mural patchwork and like try to get it all exactly flat and balanced and like in the precise place that it needs to be but then like not being able to like be standing in a an ideal position to do that it just it sounds amazing and it looked amazing and I like my brain kept my like final destination brain which is what I refer to my OCD brain where I'm like I'm just my brain is like oh my god something's gonna fail something's gonna fail and it's always (laughs) in all the videos it was so perfect and I was like how the fuck was that so perfect I can't believe it (laughs) 
I think it's a real credit to the installers because I definitely had those feelings and moments too, especially the first couple days were the most stressful because they they were the most challenging sections. And like I could tell once they'd done a few, it's like you kind of get, you know, people get into a rhythm and it's like, okay, now, now we know how to tackle this. But at first you're like, this kind of feels like a lot of trial and error and there's no room for error. You only have one shot. So um, it was a little bit nerve-wracking but also just exciting and I think it's like you know one thing I've just gotten to experience with public art with this project is how you know just the the value of getting to work with other teams like whether it's having assistants in the studio or like teams of installers you know like you really get the chance to bring other people into your process which as like a kind of independent studio artist um, I feel like you know we don't get that same um, experience with the way that the work is made. So it's been really uh, exciting to see the what the possibilities are when you're kind of like stepping out into a new realm or like expanding the like the materials that you work in or the scale of the work. And so I'm I'm excited to see where this project leads. And I think that it's been a good like, I mean, hopefully we've been able to shed a little light into the process, but a lot of it I think is sort of learning through doing too, you know, like we definitely didn't have all of these details worked out around like how, it was, you know, the installation and like exactly how it's going to be fabricated when I applied to the project. Like these are things that you, like that's why you, there is such a process is so that, you know, you, you're kind of building in this time for research and for sourcing other partners and like fabricators and installers and I feel I feel like I have to give a shout out to the city of Tempe because they have a really amazing team of public art managers uh Rebecca and Christine are just incredible to work with and they they really made the process very seamless like from my perspective and they they just were you know really great to work with uh things felt felt very seamless and they could really help to um like what, what you would hope where, you know, you're, you're coming in and like maybe I don't have the experience of working with a larger construction team or like seeing my work integrated into landscape or architecture like this, but they have more of a bird's eye view and they are kind of like that middle, like they're working with the artist, but then they're also working for the city and they can kind of like mediate between like the contractors and help to like figure out how all the puzzle pieces are going to fit together and just share insights that you know you wouldn't necessarily know otherwise so I feel like that's been one of the big differences between like other commercial projects where it feels like a little more autonomous where you know you're being commissioned as the artist like you go off and do your thing and then maybe you come back and install the work but with a project like this where it's really required the involvement of like lots of teams from like the architects to contractors like having the public art managers there as your advocates and to sort of work with you through that process has been really essential. So I feel like, yeah, we talked a little bit about just like the differences between like public and commercial projects, I think in that last episode, but I really, I, I could see like, I, for me personally would love to have a healthy mix of those. Like, I think they're both very polar opposite in some ways. Like, again, I've learned to just expect delays, like always build on a buffer. And it's just a lot more, a lot more administrative and a lot more more researched, I would say, like, you know, from having to just get approvals on like every aspect of the budget and design, you really have to like think through every aspect of the project. And so in some ways it's 
it's just very structured and there's a lot like you can kind of take with you into those other commercial projects but I feel like you have a a lot more flexibility like if someone's reaching out to you for a project you just kind of you can give them a quote and then you know it's like great sign off like you go do your thing and there's not that same level of oversight where they're like well can you break down for me exactly like where every dollar's going and like how you know there's just um i think a different level of independence with commercial projects so they all kind of have their own purpose but yeah i'd love to have like a mix of them and i think uh i'm still I'll still be processing the takeaways from this project for a while. So it's uh, it's still sinking in, but I'm glad that we can kind of share, like as we're going through these things, what we're learning and thinking about, because um, it's been, it has been a real learning experience for me. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to have like a couple conversations around it, both like in the middle and also a little bit afterwards. We've had some time to process, but I'm sure, yeah, like you said, you'll you'll definitely continue to keep processing takeaways from this experience moving forward. Sometimes it takes us years looking back and be like, oh, actually, yeah. Was there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure to mention? I don't think so. I feel like we've covered a lot, but if anyone's listening and still has questions, um, feel free to reach out to me on the studio and we can try and, you know, re- reply or maybe talk about it in a future episode because I think there's a lot to to dig into. So hopefully everyone feels like, you know, they can reach out. And if, and this is, again, this is just based on like my own experience of this one project, but I feel like something else I've learned is that it's it's so varied. I mean, like every just in talking with some other artists who worked on different kinds of public projects like it, it's just there's like so many different experiences out there so <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure we'll be doing more I mean we I know we'll definitely be doing more topical episodes in the future but we may also revisit the topic of public art depending on your experiences what you take on uh maybe I do public art maybe our guests do public art maybe beyond the studio does public art who knows (laughs) yeah I'm sure it'll come up in other conversations um so this is definitely not a universal guide but just like yeah my own experience with this one project which I really the way that I view these as is as just an extension of my studio practice. Like for me, it's all one and the same, and I'm I'm excited to continue, like taking on these projects because I feel like it allows me to work in other materials or like, you know, try try out new ideas and work at a different scale. For me, it does all feed back into the painting practice, and I know that artists have all kinds of different motivations, and so there's like so many different examples of public art out there. I think that's it. Thanks for thanks for listening. Um, we're excited to share some more artist interviews. And uh, again, if you have any questions or ideas or like future topical episodes you want to see, please feel free to reach out. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, as always, send us your questions, comments, feedback, rating, and, and a review if you've got the time and the words. We appreciate hearing from you and it helps us to cater the podcast to our listeners' needs because we want to make sure that the information we're bringing you is relevant to you and your lives and your practices. So keep in touch and we'll be back with another episode soon. That's all for today's episode of Beyond the Studio. You can find episode notes, images, links, and references over at our website, beyondthe.studio. 
While you're there, be sure to submit to our listener spotlight and sign up for our email list to find out about upcoming guests, events, special announcements, podcast giveaways, and more. If you love listening to Beyond the Studio, please leave us a rating and review and share the show with your creative community. Thanks. I'm going to pause for one second because Remy's doing his like, like scooching around the bed and <laughs> always digging. You <laughs> can be a little noisy. <laughs> what a good boy. 12 out of 10. He's, he's got to fluff up his bed sometimes, you know, like we like fluff our pillows, so. Oh, yeah, I totally understand. Um, hey, Sprout. <laughs> Listener Sprout just call. hopped up from the ground right to the back of my head, which is perfectly in view for Nicole to distract her in the middle of her sentence. But <laughs> what, a, what a blessing.